1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. you have an Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host hello I'm mayhem hello I'm chaos and
2: our, our happiness, 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 happiness is egg happiness is egg shape loves us circle with no end
0: this last night and he said,
1: happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end.
3: Hello and welcome to the Happiness is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, for another of the best of, and this one is all about the lions, but not any old lions. The lions I fell in love with and the lions that many of you Listening and watching fell in love with the 1997 vintage that went down to South Africa and won the series. The characters were displayed for all to see on that amazing. What I remember is a DVD. In fact, I think I had it on VHS, then I had it on DVD, and now it's all over the show and you can see the highlights, but none are better than the in-depth highlights from the Lions we've had as guests. So in this episode, we kick it all off with the one and the only Jim Telfer and Alan Tate. Alan Tate, try scorer the back from rugby league to become a hero and Jim Telfer the man who gave so many moments that we all remember and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you hear someone talk about this is your Everest my Everest Jim Telfer on the Happinesses podcast I hope you enjoy listening and if you do make sure you tune in because we might have another one for you to listen to go for it Obviously, coming up for Lion season. When you look at South Africa, does that just bring back very, very happy memories?
0: I, I mean, you know, it, you never forget that. Obviously, it's the highlight of my life, and um, you know, just thinking that they're going back there, and it's it's the time that's flew by. You know, twenty four years. You just you see it, and you just can't believe it. You know, I was lucky enough to we had a sort of reunion on, on this sort of podcast idea and uh, with the Lions about two weeks ago. And just seeing the guys again was it was great to see them all, you know. You just you never forget their memories and just seeing the boys. We do we all look a bit older and heavier and whatever, but uh, no, it was good to just catch up with them again.
3: When when you watch the Living with the Lions DVD, I don't know if you've watched it, I've watched it a hundred times, and you hear, you have those speeches from Geach and, and Creamy. When you're sitting there in the room, is that building you up or were you somebody that sat there thinking, Come on, just get on with it"?
0: No, I, I was I was very much a sit at the back of the room kind of guy. You know, I wasn't. I, I liked to, when in team meetings, you always was a bit nervy that you might get asked questions. So I used to sit at the back and keep out of the way and the uh, head down. But no, look, you know, every individual gets something out of something. But Geach and Jim, you know, just to speak about them two, Jim was obviously when he took them guys away with Everest you know that chat was obviously for the forwards and he he got them forwards really wound up you know all the time and that was his sort of that you know he was brilliant at it he? he was absolutely brilliant whereas the backs are a bit you know usually are a bit more um laid back as you could say and uh, but geech geech's speeches were always emotional you know and his chin was always going like you you knew how much it meant to him and that i think that sort of comes across to you that you know this guy is actually feeling Every word he's saying, and you know, as if he was going to be out there playing. So, you you did get that off off both of them, really. You know, Jim was, Jim was a real up where you know Geach really touched your emotional part. And uh, I you know, the two of them worked well together. And you know, as I say, it, you know, the the, the two is, says it all, really. The, you know, the success that we had.
3: And quite oh. a lot's made of the league influence on that '97 Lions team. Did did you were you aware of that at the time, or were you just being Alan Tate?
0: I was just being myself but I knew once we got there um, we could add a lot in terms of our, just a little bit of preparation and, and the mental side of it and but mainly the communication on on the defensive side of things that, that we really cranked it up um, and the boys had never sort of I don't think they'd, they'd heard guys shouting, you know, I've got him, I've got him, you know, sort of pointing at players and marking players and and really, you know, and that's that's what like Gibbs and you know, all these guys, Bateman, you know, they all John Bentley, they all brought that into the certainly in in the sort of wider channels outside, you know, uh, numbering off in defence, you know, letting people know who you've got and talking to the guy next to you, shouting opposition's name, you know, he's going to come round the corner, you know, we had it all sort of we added that into what Geach had already sort of put in place and. Uh, and as I say, we definitely had an influence. There's no doubt about it.
3: Was that a plan from Geech and,
0: and Creamy that
3: right we're, we're going to utilise these boys, or was that just an added bonus of what you brought?
0: Look, they they would answer that, you know. But but I would have thought there'd be something in that, you know, with the amount they took they're taking. Um, I think there would be there'd have been something in there. Um, so no, but because Geech, as, as I said, Geech is a thinker. is a, is a real thinker, coach and. He would be thinking about that tour, uh, you know, months and months, and then he'd be thinking about combinations of players and who to play where and how to get, you know, how to do this. So, you know, he he would have had time to to work all that out, and I'm pretty sure he'll have sat down and thought, "These league boys, I could, I could put a fair old, you know, defensive wall, organizational wise, and, and up in front of the Springboks, and uh, and that's what happened.
3: And the the selection for. The test team. I mean, Neil Jenkins at 15. There's no way anybody would have picked that beforehand. You know, at the moment, we're all trying to pick our our starting test team for what's coming, trying to guess what they're going to pick. There's not anybody on the planet had Neil Jenkins starting no. at 15 in the test team.
0: No, no. It's, uh, again, Gage, you know, thinking, thinking all the time. Um, obviously, goal-kicking, Second to none, you know, he's right up there with the best of the best. Get Jenks, you know, for me, he was the greatest ever goal kicker, like I just couldn't believe how good he was. And um, so, no, Jenks was there, he obviously got him in the team for that reason. Um, but he, he again, Jenks was, he, you know, he's one of these deceptive lads. You he, once you got to run alongside him and train alongside, he, he had good, well obviously, he had good hands because he was a 10, but he, he had good pace as well, you know, and he, he, was, he was a brave enough character, so um you know, getting getting him to 10, uh, playing at 15 and, and, you know, and managing to convince, a bit like what I did, you know, if somebody said to me, my favourite position was 13, but I wasn't going to complain about being stuck on the wing, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't, that I was just happy to be in the team. So I think Jenks, you know, when he looks, Jenks looked at the front line and seen Gregor at 10 and him stood back in the, in the back line, he would have been thinking, why am I not in front there? But I think we were just all just, you know, it was just getting an honour to get picked in the team. That was, you know, it was such a strong squad and such a good squad. I think if anybody had complained about where they'd been, you know, playing, I think they'd have been sent home on the next flight.
3: <laughs> uh, I was I was going to ask you about Player on the Wing and I saw you recently giving a, a big shout out to Tim Rodber for throwing you that pass.
0: <laughs> ah, well, as I say, you, you forget things, you see, and, and, you know, we're going about the game as it is now and um, I actually spoke to Gregor, um, four, oh, six, eight months ago, maybe longer, and he was, you know, we were just talk about a little couple of things because you know, Greg is doing well as a coach. I just said, look, the rugby league philosophy when I went down to league and it still is, it was a race to the corner. It's to get the winger into the corner. So that's why in in league the wingers score forty tries a season. or you know, I Afiya scored sixty-one year second year I was down at Widnes, and I must have fed him thirty times. But <laughs> that was that was our beliefs. Is you score in the corner, so you never see a defender stood on holding the goal flag you know the touch line you know the touchline goal flag so you never you don't get defenders out there so if you can your know, skill wise get it there by boot or by passing you should score if you can get if you can win the race to the corner and then obviously the...
3: when when you were on that 97 tour i think both Geach and, and creamy both said a lion in south africa is is special and you you got to be that Special lion in South Africa. If you were asked to present the jerseys or to make a speech to the the boys before they get on the flight and go down there, what what would you say to them?
0: Oh, dearie me! Um, it look, I think yeah, I think one thing. I think the chin chin would be going because I can I can get a little bit emotional myself when that, but I talk about things like that. So uh, I think it would soon be going because it brings back memories it's it's more it's and that's what I would say to them it's the memories that you get out of it out especially winning Um you don't really remember anything bad about that tour you know I can't really remember anything bad about it but I remember everything that's good and the memories that I got out of it and just the, the pride that it brought to you know my family you know my friends you know just people at Kelso
3: So Geach, Geach says got quite em- emotional. I know, and, and I can understand that. And that the hairs in the back of my neck have gone up. Geach says on that tour that in 30 years' time you'll meet each other and there'll just be a look. Is that you said you were on a Zoom call with a, with some of the guys yeah. recently? Is that is that a true thing? Do you look at them and there's just a look? There's you don't need to say anything. There's just a we did something pretty special together.
0: All uh, right I mean, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I think I actually said that on the podcast when when uh, Geach was there. If there's anything out of of all them speeches, that's the one that, as I say, you pick something off a coach and as you go along and you write it down. But that's the one where I got off Geach. So it's it's absolutely true. It's funny. You you're walking. You can be in a club room. You can be anywhere, and you'll bump into somebody. And it's the first thing that you, you know, I met Martin Johnson one day and it's the first thing I thought of because he was a great captain. He was an absolutely brilliant captain. It's the first thing I want to shook his hand, you know, to say, hi, Martin, it was the first thing I thought of was that, you know, you were my leader, you were my captain in, in South Africa. And, and that's the kind of, it does, it, it it's, it's that that speech is so, so true. I don't know where, you know, if Geach got that himself or whether he got it off lines of Lions Tour back in the 70s, I don't know, but it it was a it's a hell of a phrase and uh, and it doesn't it does it sticks it sticks definitely.
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. So, hello, sir. How are you? Hello, Bruce. Nice to
2: hear you. Nice to speak to you.
3: It's great to have you here. And when I've told people that you're coming on to do this, everybody is excited by it. Do you still realise the impression you've got on the rugby public? It
2: it seems to be when the lines are coming around that I get quoted more often than, you know, the other three years when nothing's really, well, no Lions tours are taking place. So it's amazing how, it's a modern technology, I suppose, and the very, in the fact that 1997 was such a successful tour in many ways, just not the rugby, but the social side and the supporters and so on, and everything was being recorded. I think that was the the key to the uh, all things being heard and... There was nothing edited in the in the, in the tour when a lot of these quotations came out because you stu- they stuck a mic in, mic in your face or your chest in the morning and you wore that until you went to bed at night. So uh, it is pleasant to know these things are happening, but a lot's happened since. And of course I'm one of these people that actually I, I think of the future all the time. So I'm hoping that this summer uh, the new history will be. Uh, made by the, the, 19, uh, the 2021 British Lions.
3: What, what is it that makes the Lions then so special? We've all got a view, but your name, like you've said, every four years comes around and everybody wants to know what you've got to say about it. What is it that makes that such a special thing?
2: Well, I think that uh, historically it's been uh, a tour that took place far away you know, and you had players from Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England and apart from the Barbarians and maybe some other uh, representative teams, it was the only time that these British and uh, Irish people could get together and play as a group and it was a challenge to try and get the best players available into a coordinated unit to play originally against New Zealand and Australia was on, and always South Africa, so historically it's been uh, developed over the years uh, and still the best players in the the Northern Hemisphere apart from France, they want to play together, they want to, they knock hell out of each other uh, during the season either for clubs or for districts or for for countries in the six nations and so on in the European Cup matches but it's the one time where uh, the, the players can develop as a team against traditionally the two strongest teams in the world New Zealand and South Africa and it's a shame really because when I was a player and went first in 1966 we were away for five months and you really get to know players and you get to know each other. We actually flew there, but it took us about five or six stops to get to Australia first, then New Zealand. 35 matches in Canada on the way back. It's, the rugby is very, very important but it's the, the, the friendships you make and rugby is a very social game. I mean you, you the, the rich can uh, mix with the poor, the good can move uh, mix with the bad the excellent player can play with a big player in the second uh, second 15 and most recently what's happened is that thousands of supporters have gone to uh, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia and I think probably 1997 was the first time that mass numbers of red jerseys supporting the lines were there at uh, Bloemfontein, at, at Cape Town and so on, Ellis Park and so on. So these factors have uh, helped to make the, the, the sort of brand, if you like, the mystique of being a Lion and being a successful Lion, the, the ultimate to be when you start, when you play or when you coach the Lions team. So there's the historical point of view, there's the uh, the fact that the players become very, very close. I mean, even if you're beating 4-0 in the test season, as they used, used to four tests, you could still have, a, uh, you could still be very close to winning games or winning series, but it just didn't go right for you in the day. And I mean, uh, so the players love to play at that elevated level. And then there's the supporters. I think they call them fans, but I call them supporters. And they were very integral. They were absolutely part of the team in 1997 and it's a it's a shame, it, uh, really, it's a disaster. There's nobody going to be able to see them live in places like uh, Pretoria or Cape Town or, or Ellis Park, or, or, well, I think it's changed its name and they're play, playing probably in, in Soweto now. So uh, it's, I know a lot of people don't like it. It's been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until it's almost unrecognisable as far as this uh, time is concerned. And the, the players this time in going in, in 2021 will not be able to do the same things as the players in the past because although there was a tremendous social side, there was also an educational side for the, the, the young people, the young boys and girls in, in South Africa, in the townships. Uh, where the Lions, in particular, in 2000, it would be 2000, and uh, I think 13 was the last time they went. Uh, they, they, uh, no, 2009. 2009, so. yeah. Uh, they, they went out to, uh, you know, educate the youngsters. And the players love doing that. If, as a manager or as a coach, you sometimes have to ask for volunteers and you, you get umpteen volunteers, not just the players who are injured or can't do certain things. All players love to be, uh, at, you know, they go out and help youngsters. And if, when I was a player in South Africa, 68 and uh, New Zealand 66, I used to go to the assemblies, the morning assemblies. And it used to be 7 o'clock in the morning And because I was a teacher and so san- taking assemblies wasn't a big problem for me because I was not used to taking them, but I was used to standing in front of people in a class. So that used to be a big, a big thing. You were uh, asked to go out and speak at the assembly and answer any questions the youngsters want. When there's about four or 500 youngsters in front of you. It, it, for some, for some it was a bit, uh, you know, daunting, but for others who, what a lot of chat like me, you could, uh, you could get away with it, you know. <laughs> 1997, it was a wee bit longer and win seven or eight matches before the first test. And the test team that took the park at Cape Town in the first test would not have been the test team that would have been chosen beforehand, especially in the forwards. And there was injuries of course, uh, Scott Connell was injured uh, and Doddy of course got injured and he would have been challenged. So was Scott Connell, and these things happen. But the, we were able to uh, produce a pack that could to contain the, the, the springbok, but it wasn't the same pack that most of the scribes would have chosen before we went, because most of the scribes are English, and so they they produce, they picked their own teams, but uh, I picked my own team, and, and so that was one of the, the things we were able to do, I think, Warren Gatlin and, he, and, and Gregor and so on, will be, you'll have to think of a test team after a couple of weeks, a couple of games, simply because they just don't have the time to mould them together. But I think also they have great advantages in that the players, although they don't play against each other or they don't play with each other, they've played against each other and there's so much statistic work and, 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 and you know, that sort of stuff now work on the on the, on the computer that the, they'll know the team they want probably and uh, the, the players are could I say better than they were in 97? You know, they're they're used to playing in in top matches a lot more than they were then. Uh, Internationals, European Cups, Premierships and so on. And so the players will slot into the way that the coach wants to play. But he has to decide or they have to decide what style they have to do uh, to beat the the springboard. I mean, Ian McGeachan was chosen in 1996. You probably know this. He went to he went to South Africa in 1996, a year before, and he stayed with the Springboks for for three weeks. For three weeks, and learned how the Blacks were trying to beat the Springboks. And he got good ideas. He, if you ever speak to him, he'll give you. It was it was open. He was welcome into the All Black camp, and he he produced a strategy to at least compete with the Springboks. Uh, and then, if you had quality players. He could actually beat them. So uh, I don't think Warren has had that opportunity and of course with Covid he hasn't been able to uh, speak to many players in this country either but he has the advantage that if he wants there are players who played in the 2017 quite successful tour of, of New Zealand. It wasn't a complete success because they drew the series but it was as close as you can get and so he has that backbone of experience there. Uh, and so, but very quickly, Gregor and, and uh, the rest of the coaches and, and Warren will have to decide this is the route we go down. And of course, you can never uh, work out wh- what, what injuries are going to happen. And I know that players at the moment are apprehensive of are playing. I think there's more chance of being injured on the tour than there is before you go.
3: Yeah, it's it's a big challenge. There's a couple of things in there, one about 97, but you you spoke about the time and, of, and you played 20-odd games and you'll have played against little provinces and probably regional select teams that were a one-off just to play the Lions. Mm-hmm. By shortening the tour, you're not just taking away from the Lions, but you're taking away the chance of that guy in the countryside of South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, mm-hmm. To play in a game that will probably be the pinnacle of that player's career—that's quite a sad thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, when I when I went in '66, there were 35 matches, and there were 25 in, in in New Zealand, eight in Australia, and two in Canada. i had been reduced to 20 matches in 1968, but that was you went to play a, places that you, in South Africa you only read about in books, you know, Uh, uh, real hillbilly towns uh, where they didn't speak English at all. Uh, The the spectators, and uh, uh, they spoke Afrikaans. And so that is absolutely true. I mean, some of these country teams or combination of, of small districts, they were just as tough to play against as the test team. Not in the same way, but they were out to get you you know it was a it was a you know a, a badge of honor if they if the boat beat the lions and, and the lions have been beaten in uh in in some matches in they should not have been beaten in and certainly in new zealand you know down in southland our first game in 66 we come from australia unbeaten we won seven matches and drew one one two tests easy Went down to Southland, Invercargill, West, and we were beaten first game, uh, we were then beaten the next Saturday again and so it was a rude awakening but they they at that time the games were dirtier in some of these uh, provincial games if you like. Uh, the test teams were clean, the test matches were clean, reasonably clean if you could you know Colin Meads had his sort of reputation, but he was in the whole on the whole very game player. And so the, the the that will not happen in the future at all. The, 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 the block in Uppington or or somewhere like that, Nell Street or somewhere like that would be playing for Eastern Transvaal or whatever like Mumpumalanga or uh the, I mean Doddy was in, in, injured in Mumpumalanga. It takes a while to rec- to be able to pronounce it let alone be there but that was Eastern Transvaal, Western Transvaal, Northern Transvaal is of course the Bulls now but these places, uh, uh, not just the players enjoyed it but the, the spectators, <coughs> the, the the supporters loved it. The, the fact that the, the best players in the Northern Hemisphere on Britain and uh, Ireland were there visiting their town you know and they were there to show you show off the town basically like kimberley and so on lovely places uh, and, and lovely people when you're there but they were they were they were hell-bent and beating you you know both in new zealand australia not so much at that time and certainly in south africa because they 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 look on the the, the lines as almost the world cup you know i know exactly yeah, think-
3: it, it, it was the biggest show at the time, wasn't it? Because there wasn't a World Cup, so the Lions was it for them.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was when they proved to be the unofficial world champions, if you like. Although, I think they still, the All Blacks and the Springboks still look in their own game as probably, apart from the World Cup, the pinnacle of their careers, uh, the, playing against the All Blacks for the Springboks and vice versa.
3: OK. The, the bit about... Or or one of your one of your speeches in South Africa. Now you've probably made thousands of speeches before various games as a captain, as a player, as a coach, but you you make a comment about the Brit abroad. You look for an English pub, a pint of Guinness, and a British paper. So that's being lost, I think, isn't it? And on these tours that are so short and. Just against t- some of those towns you mentioned and places you mentioned, that's where you get the culture of the place.
2: Oh yes, uh, that was when I said that. You, you look at an Irish pub and a fish and chip shop and a you know a, a paper because you want to be British when you, you want to not be uh, in a foreign country. It's like holiday makers I saying, and that's one thing the Lions have to uh, adapt to the players. They, they can't be, they, they can't allow themselves to get homesick. You know I've been on tours especially 1996 where player, players were homesick and they couldn't play because they, they weren't they weren't up to it. I don't need to mention who they were but they, they, they were homesick and so uh, always thinking of home, it's not a bad thing, there's nothing wrong with that but you, you uh, as Ian McEachan once described it, it's a 10 week phenomenon where a group of players and a group of people, 50 odd it was worth with us in 97, come together and for those next 10 weeks they work to, uh, to be successful because that group of players and group of people will never ever again be the same. And, and so you have to make sure that you forget all about where you come from uh, you can uh, take know uh, text and all that sort of stuff but you 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 have to forget that and that's what I find the Scots are very good at that they're very good <laughs> I don't think they like Scotland some of them but they, they, they love being in the environment I mean I used to think when I played uh, the Ireland and Scots always felt they were they were really they shouldn't be there they were really uh, you know, couldn't believe they were there, they were Welsh and English, they, they, they had the right to be there, you know. And so, I'm not saying that's always the case, but they were, at that time, they were mainly Welsh and English in the teams. And so, and, but everybody, everybody who starts off a Lions tour, the players, the management, are as one. They, they, there's nothing coming between them at all. And they're all aiming for the same thing, and that's success at the test level.
0: The, the provincial
2: games and, and the midweek games, if you call them that, they're important to win, but they're not the, the most important. You're only remembered for what you do in the test matches. And so the players, they, they have to forget where they come from and uh, just uh, take the culture completely. And often in the past, it was the press who got to the players. Why are you no picked for the test team? you think you should have been in the best team and uh you know because the press the first thing they do is when they pick a team they look at the players not in the team and they they try to get opinions of them and you've noticed that in some of the tours like 2001 for example where the players started to bitch at each other and uh but in the tours i've been on as a player and as a coach the, the players are very good uh, i mean i went to new zealand in 83 as, a, as the only coach, we beaten four tests to nil, but we were close in two of them. But the player, I felt, I found the players' excellent. all Irish, Welsh, English, and and, and Scots—they all mucked in together. We we're just not good enough, you know, at that time. Uh, and th- th- I mean, they've had a lot of success, alliance since then. I mean, they, they should have won in, 19, in 2009. Uh, and, uh, Ian two thousand and nine, and Ian McEwan's to it was a African. They could have won in two seventeen. so uh, and they should have won in 2001 because i reckon that uh, the team that went in 2001 to was a better team in 97
3: yeah the-
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
3: Does Ian McGeekin get the phone call first to say, we'd like you to lead the Lions, and then he phones you to say, Jim, I want you to come with me? Or how does that process work?
2: Well, I would think uh, for the 97-2, Fran Cotton was appointed as manager. And at that time, uh, somebody like Fran Cotton was chosen because of his stature in rugby. He made a double line, I think it was 74, 77. He played in the team that Willie John's team had been unbeaten in South Africa. He was a, a, a victorious line in South Africa. So the Lions committee, there is a committee, I think it's, uh, each country is represented. And so they chose Frank Cotton and it was up to him to choose his management. And the first person he chose was Ian McGeachan as I said before, a year, a year before the, the tour uh, and then about when Ian came back from South Africa, he started making up his own uh, coaches, I mean he, he didn't choose the press man or he didn't choose the, necessarily the, the secretary or something like that to the, to the manager and Ian asked me to be the, the coach, the forward coach, uh, I think I was classed as assistant coach assistant coach Uh, and so uh, that's how it worked and then he he worked out with me and with Fran but mainly himself other coaches, fitness fitness coaches and so on until you get your management and so we had a, a coaching team about seven or eight and that so that's how it was done whereas in the past if I give you an example of 1983 when I was asked to be coach I went down to London for an interview, and I think there was four other people, or three other people, interviewed. Probably the coaches of each of the other countries, and I was asked to coach the team. But I wasn't asked if I wanted any other coaches. That was the there was only one coach. Uh, and uh, when when the selection took place of the players, I was the first coach from of the Lions who had ever been in the selection committee. Of the, of the and there was four again, four representatives, four main selectors from each country. And we used to meet regularly and talk about the, the players. But uh, I was the only coach and I was the first selector and coach for the Lions. There have been coaches before, there were coaches when I went in '66 uh, John Robinson, um, the, the, uh, uh, Dawson was the coach in. in forget his first name now. Ronnie Dawson was the first co- coach in 68, but he had been, co- uh, been captain of the Lions in 1959. He was an excellent, excellent coach, but uh, but I was the first coach to be a selector. Uh, and you're always asked to write a report when you finish, when you come back. And I, I I wrote a report, a report, I spent a lot of time in it, uh, because we were just not equipped to do it. The, the structure of rugby in Britain at that time and Ireland was just not conducive to producing players of quality to be the all max. So I put that down, but also said, you have to have a bigger team of coaches. I never was asked to uh, go and talk to my, my uh, report. I don't suppose anybody ever read, read it at all. But I, think, <laughs> I think Willie John said that as well. Uh, Willie John was the, the manager. He was an excellent manager. Uh, and so we had a fairly strong management team, but not many. Uh, so that's how it works now. I mean, Warren Gatlin will have a manager. I don't know who it is, but some of the managers like Andy Irvin and Gerald Davies uh, and uh, Spencer, John Spencer, they're, they're sort of um, Lions, you know, royalty. You know, all of them have played for the Lions. Uh, so that, uh, they're, they're, their wisdom is valuable because they've done it. Uh, but it, I mean Warren will be in charge there's no doubt about that and the team he puts out he'll have uh, spoken to all the coaches and probably the manager but he it's his team and the way he plays will be determined by the players he's got and also with his own ideas and he's, he's been very successful when you think of the success he's had with, with Wales and so on and the Lions because he first coached the Lions in 2009 so he's been
3: there, two thousand thirteen, seventeen, almost as many times as Ian. <laughs> so when you sit down then to map out a team, yeah, and when you played, you probably had to back up on a Tuesday and a Saturday, and then possibly got a rest on the Tuesday to be back on the Saturday. Now when you're mapping it out, you probably have to have your test team before you get on the plane. But when you left in ninety seven you're right, people probably didn't pick Wally and, and Tom Smith as your props or probably didn't give Jeremy Davidson a chance. Or So when you got on the plane, were you that open? Let's just see how this goes and we'll get to the tests. I
2: think the, the, the I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly, and Ian would know more, probably Fran. We, we, we told every player honestly... That everybody was up for selection for the test team, you know. And that was an honest assessment that whatever happened in the first four or five games, everybody would be given a chance to play uh to the to the full and to be given a chance to get into the test team. And so uh because of the shortness of the time now, it's probably you can't have that luxury. We did have that luxury and uh, we did change the team every time, I mean I can remember exactly who we played, right from the time when we played uh, in Eastern Province at uh, Port Elizabeth, to, down to uh, East London, then to Cape Town, then up to the, the High Velt and so on. And we had injuries on the way because Doddy was injured in the fourth game and I think about the same time Scott Quinnell was injured and so he get knocked back because of that. And uh, uh, so everybody was given a chance to show what they could do and then as you get closer you try especially the, the Saturday before the test and it was against Natal uh, we we had decided as, as much as we could what the test team would be and we won by 42 points I think that day they played brilliantly at, at Natal I uh, think they were probably the best team Uh, the province at the time and so uh, but every every player was given a chance and I don't think anybody if you ask them now uh, would say well we were we weren't given a chance we were just there for backup and so that didn't happen Uh, and uh, I had an open mind an open mind but once I've made up my mind once I've made a decision I go with it because I've found in coaching uh, selection is the key. If you're going to win team uh, matches and championships and so on, you have to get the selection right. You can't muck about and say, I'll do this and I'll do that. You have to get, you make a decision. It was decided that Tom Smith would be a loose head prop, even though Jason Leonard was there. Um, w- uh, Wally, as you said, uh, Paul Wallace was chosen Paul Wallace wasn't in the original 30 players, 35 players when we went, because Peter Closey was chosen as a tight head. Uh, I think with Jason Leonard and I think uh, Roundtree, Graham Roundtree was the other who said uh, Peter Closey failed the fitness test on the first day in London and Paul Wallace was brought in. So you can see that he overtook some people to get there. And so, uh, but once you You've decided on the style of play, and Ian was was excellent. What Ian did, he wanted players who play slightly differently. You don't beat the, the Springboks by beating them up. You don't beat the spring by, by running straight at them. You know, uh, you have to take them on. You have to confront them, but you have to think of ways of outflanking them, or, as they say in, in rugby, hitting weak shoulders, using feet, and so on. Uh, and so we chose players who could do that. And in the forwards in particular, when you look at the front row, Tom, uh, Keith Wood and, and, and Paul, excellent rugby players, excellent rugby players, Martin Johnson, Jeremy Davison, athletic and so on. Uh, you know, in the back row, Tim Rodberg and so on. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, who's the other one? Delalio. Oh, Lawrence and, and, and of course, uh, uh, the uh, Saracens, Richard Hill, you know, and Neil Bach, Di I mean, it's a superb player who could play anywhere in the back row. So, you know, pre- I'm maybe different from modern coaches, but I don't look at the scummaging ability as the most important thing for a prop or a front row. Now, I know that you can't beat the, the Springboks unless you can compete them in the scrums. I'm not that stupid. Or naive, and I've been in South Africa a few times to play as a player and as a coach, so that I knew that you had to be able to compete with them in the scrums. But scrums are only part of the game, and if you can if you can match them in the scrums in South Africa, then you're part of the way along the way to beating them because they have this psyche about scrums that they're superior to everybody. But we could outplay them elsewhere, and. Uh, that's what happened. I mean, we were under the cosh, especially in the in the second test. I mean, we were very lucky to win. But the first test was a uh, ixie-pixie. And as Ian used to say, if we're in the game with 10 minutes to go, we'll win. Because we, we we had tremendous ability outside. But we would also tremendous ability in forwards. And if you look at Tom Smith and, and, and Keith Wood and Paul Wallace, I would think they'd be close to be record holder in their own position in their countries, Lawrence and, and and Martin Johnson and so on. They'd saying Richard Hill, they'd be picked in most Lions teams. So but, uh, we had some excellent players, but there were rugby players first and specialists second. And uh, I know I'll be, uh, especially the English scribes, they'll say, oh no, you have to have scrummagers like uh, and England, would, uh, you know, they were beaten in the World Cup by the scrum. But unfortunately uh, hand was coming South Africa, six, six world beaters. world uh, beaters, two sets of front row uh, and England just couldn't compete with them. But we managed to compete with Garvey and Osterant and I think Dalton was the hooker, the, other, the hooker, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: When, when Alan Tate scored, can you remember who threw him the pass?
2: I've seen it in the telly often enough.
3: Uh... So, when you you gave one of your speeches about this is not Twickenham, this is not Murrayfield, mm-hmm. you have to you have to learn this is how we're doing it. And mm-hmm. I spoke to Alan Tate last week, and it was Tim Rodber that threw him the pass. Oh. Oh, yeah. And I asked Alan Tate, would Tim Rodber have thrown that pass if he was wearing an England shirt? Mm-hmm. What 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 do you think? Do you think Tim Rodber would have thrown that pass playing for England?
2: i have to say yes, but I don't know. Uh, I think certainly the way the Lions played, we played a wide game. And that was typical of what Ian had talked about in the team talk for the first test. It was easy peeksy with about 20 minutes to go. Dawson scored a try with a lovely break. And then, as you say, we outflanked them going left, uh, from right to left. Uh, and Allen was in the wing of scores and scored. Uh, Tim Robins gave in the past, I would I would have liked to think that he would have done it, uh, would have done that. I'll give you a wee story though. Uh, when Martin Johnson and I hope he can uh, he can you know accept this. When Martin Johnson was picked for the Lions in the third game we played at Cape Town, we played some great rugby, but our scrum was mangled, so that's why we had some. Uh, you probably remember we had a tremendous scrummaging session two or three days later. We were very badly beaten in the scrums and we scored some beautiful tries. and Evans I remember, Rob Howley scored beautiful tries and we won by 40 points but we didn't play well. And then at the press conference later, now you have to have your history of where, knowledge of where Martin comes from, Leicester, you know. And he, he was asked the question, I'm paraphrasing now, what do you think of the way the Lions are, are playing and moving the ball around, Mark? says, this is the only way to play rugby, you know? And he, so he was converted completely. Uh, and so a lot of players were converted, even Scotsmen, on how to play the game, but I remember that. So if Tim Brodberg, I would like to think he was a good enough player to pass if he played for England, but he certainly did that. Uh, on that day and uh i mean uh, teams within teams he, he used to talk about he, groups of five teams within teams you react to the situation as it comes on you you didn't you need to have a forward or a back you're just rugby players once the ball was at the scrum or a, a line out and if you watch the lines matches and on that tour th- that was justified that's the way we played you know it was a uh, I i mean we were badly beaten by in the end, 35 30, I think, by Northern Transvaal. That was a turning point. But uh, we scored good tries in that game, but didn't play well. Greg, got a kick charge down. And Mar-
3: Martin Johnson says that after that game, that was when you took over. And he said yeah. that was when things got better. Can you, can you, was that your most important moment on the tour? After Cape Town. Yeah. After,
2: yeah. Well, we moved up to Pretoria, and we were going to play the three top sides before the Test matches: Gentan Lions, which is uh, Transvaal; Northern Transvaal, which is the Bulls; and the Tal Sharks, which is obviously Natal. And we had the other games in the, you know, with other games uh, before the Test match with the Emerging Springboks, I think. But after, after Cape Town, we were. We were just playing at the game, if you like. Three games in, I realised there has to be something done about the forward play, and that's when I made the thing of the speech about the fish and chip shop, about the bounty Guinness, and the, you know the rest of the things. Forget that. Forget your are at Murrayfield. Forget your home comforts. That was on the Monday morning before <coughs> we were going to Vitbank on the wed- Wednesday to play Mpumalanga. That was when I really started to get tough on the players. But Bruce, I can tell you that all the forwards, and, and, and I take my hat off to the, especially the English players who were very experienced. Uh, I have great respect for them Jason and, and uh, uh, Lawrence and, and, and Martin, in particular, Richard Hill and, and uh, Neil Barr. Uh, they, there was talk in England that they wouldn't accept what I said. But I was very honest with them before that but even after that that if we decided to do something we did it together and nobody bitched about this or that it, they didn't say it was too tough it was too hard or so on they accepted that I would have to you know I was the boss and they were the the pupils if you like they were the workmen and they accepted that because I was a bit worried when I went to coach the land. I hadn't coached for four years. I worked at the Union, at the, the Scottish Rugby Union at that time, so I hadn't actively coached since I'd left Melrose in 1994. This was three years later. So there was, I had a worry that I wouldn't be up to, you know, the modern game, as professionalised and so on. And But they've, they accepted what you might call old fashioned rules, you know. And when you think of it, Martin Johnson, he he is he'd already been uh, you know an experienced player before that. Like he worked at Leicester and worked hard these books. And then you're talking about Lawrence Delalio taking sessions at Wasp and So on. it was a, I mean they were prepared to work hard because they'd worked hard before. It wasn't as if I was introducing something new. Uh, and it was the same for Keith Wood, who's a very experienced player and played for Harlequin. So. Uh, we agreed that I was the, the boss and they would do whatever I asked them to do. And that's what happened. So...
3: How how tough was it to be away? Jim Telfer, Melrose man, everybody knows your, your love of the place. And to go through what you did with Doddy on that tour. I mean, he was he wasn't just a player that you'd got to know on that tour. He was somebody you'd seen since he was... A daft wee laddie, and now he was a daft big laddie. How how did that impact you?
2: Yeah, well, you have to steel yourself for these things happening when you're abroad. I mean, I I'd had the experience of, I mean, Derry White once was injured in Australia, and his leg was going backwards and forwards because the ligaments were completely broken in 1982. So. I had to accept that rugby players get injured and they have to be disappointed, of course they are. And it's its often just as bad playing for your club or your district or your country. In Doddy's case, uh, as you say, I had known him since he was about 18, you know, when he came to Melrose uh, as a youngster from Stuart's Melville, uh, although he lives in the borders, as you probably know. And so, uh, He'd been part of the, the teams that I'd worked with in the early 90s, all the way through from 1991 19, and so on, ninety and 94 and so on. And so he was probably, well, his only Melrose player there. It was a blow when I came in to speak to him, I came down immediately to the dressing room and we looked at each other and I don't know what the will say, he said, we knew this tour was finished. You know, you're there for ten weeks or even less, seven weeks. It's not so bad if you if you'd been there for four and a half months, like nineteen ninety-six, <laughs> uh, where you could be injured and then again. But the kind of injury you got was going to be a long term injury. And so I Tony was kind of special in that sense. But I have come to learn that or did come to learn that these things happen and you have to make the most of it at the time. So there was no crying or wailing or anything like that, it just, as a sports person, especially in a physical sport like rugby, you're, you're fitting, fit 100% one minute and you could be out with an ACL the next minute. So it was that kind of injury and there was no, there was no thought that he could stay and, and get better and that was it. I knew he was desperately disappointed, and I tried to, uh, you know, speak to him and so on. And he was so much part of the the side outside the rugby. You know, he's seen the video, where he's a big stupid laddie all the time. You know, and um, and he was the life and soul of the party. He was a he was a as good a line, uh, uh, you know, supporter if you like a good a good line player as you'll get because of what he did off the field or what he did on the field playing with, with the team and so, he, I mean if you if could choose anybody who could be a caricature of what a line should be, it could be Doddy Weir because he's, he's he gets on with everybody, he's prepared to t- take the, the, the smooth with the, the rough and obviously it's rough at the moment and so uh, he, he was he was a great loss and it and was a great loss to the team because, uh, I mean we got a replacement, the Redmond came, a uh, good player but completely different uh, from, from Doddy and Doddy would have competed for Alliance place because you know Doddy's a huge man, he's an athlete, kind of player, we wanted him in South Africa, that's why he's chosen in the first place. Because I, I mean I haven't mentioned it but we actually did choose, we did choose players who could play the kind of game that Ian wanted to play. You know, and that's, you You went on about Tim Rodburn. but uh, you know, all the players were chosen with, with that in mind. Uh, uh, you know, even Scott Gibbs, I mean, Scott Gibbs was a tower of strength. He wasn't your sidestepping, you know, quick, quick guy, but he was fearsome when he had the ball in his hand. He was even more fearsome. When he didn't
3: have the ball in his hand. He, he was quick and sidestepping at Wembley yeah. in
2: 1999.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he did, he did. Aye, that's right, he scored the uh, he was. But he, if he saw an opponent, he quite liked running over the top of him, you know. <laughs> so, talking about selection, you pick Alan Tate on the wing and Neil Jenkins at 15. Gregor gets to run at 10. Rob Howley was probably your test scrum half and gets right. injured. You pick a front row that probably wouldn't have been picked 6 weeks earlier but you you got it right you got the selection right what we we only get to see clips on the video so we only get to see the two-minute selection committee meeting. And there's there's obviously lots. And I think Geach at one point is talking about what type of player. And I think you talk about Neil Back was obviously a player you admire. And the thing that was always held against him was his size. And what what went into the... Obviously, there was the style of play and there was players who were going to be disappointed. What What's the magic stardust that you and Geach had with selection? I mean, Neil Jenkins at 15, he must have been thinking the two of you were off your rockers.
2: Well, Neil Jenkins at that time was the best goal kicker in the world. Uh, and in the second test, he kept us in the game. Kicked goals all the way through until we got a drop goal. And so uh, we knew... That we had to have a very good goal kicker. We decided that we would go with Gregor at ten because of his attacking flair. Now, Gene, Neil Jenkins was an excellent player. I mean, I've seen him playing up here uh, in Scotland for Pontyprede, you know, before I think he went to Cardiff and he was a really tremendous standoff, but he lost a bit of pace and so on. And Paul Grayson was the other standoff that went, but he was injured quite quickly. Mike Cart came in. From an England tour, and so it was decided that, uh, that we would have to have a goal kicker. So and a very safe man under uh, the, the, the high ball and so on, and, and and also a very good rugby player. You know, he wasn't a fullback, but he could he could be second five eight if you want him to be. Up. You know, if Gregor was, uh, we could play two two standoffs because he was very. It was obvious obviously came to him that way, and that's how it was done. So that's why we chose because we chose Neil because mainly of his goal kicking, but also his all round ability, uh, and he's a bloody good guy, Neil. You know, he'll give us all, he give us all for the team and so on, and that goes for everybody, of course. So that's why he was chosen. I mean, you're, right, you're You said the back division of this is a bit of all sorts, but the, that's not true. You know, we had Guyan Evans in one wing, getting Jeremy, Jeremy Gusko. Scott Gibbs and Alan Tate, you know, that's not a bad three-quarter line, you know, when you think of it. Because Alan Tate is probably better as a winger than he is a, as an outside centre, because he had that rugby league streak about him. You know, he could go for the line. And when you've got, uh, well, Rob Howley, but, uh, you know, Dawson, uh, I forget his first name now.
3: Matt Dawson. Matt Dawson came in. it was excellent.
2: But Rob Howley would probably have been the... the Matt Dawson wouldn't say that, but I think, uh, you know, uh, Rob Hullaby would have been in the scrum half and that, that's what happens. That's what happens. When I went on the tour in 83, uh, Roy went in a uh, scrum half and there was two scrum half. The other one was Terry Holmes and Terry Holmes was a superb player. So was Roy, but Roy was behind Terry Holmes. There's no doubt about that. Terry Holmes got injured early in the tour and went home. You know? Nigel Melville came out, excellent scrum half. He was injured in the first game and went home, so you have to overcome these things. You don't have to just take the, the, the punch in the gut for these sort of things. And when Rob Howley, I mean Rob Howley was injured in Natal the, the week before and he hurt his shoulder. It was it was really sad. It was just as sad as seeing Doddy because he knew his, his tour was over. He got a tour in 2001, but he knew his tour was over. And it's a great thing to be in the Lions too, when you're, when you're fit and well. It's not so nice when you're not fit and well. You know.
3: how, how important were the Rugby League boys? Oh, very
2: important. Very important. Uh, the five of them, you know. Uh, I know that Ian said this publicly, he thought the best line on the two was Alan Bateman. And Alan never got into testing, but he was an excellent player, Alan Bateman. And uh, Scott Cannell had to go home. Uh, John Bentley was a, a character, Alan Tate and, and Scott Gibbs, or oh, they, they they brought professionalism to them, to the thing, but they also were, they were characters in their own right, you know, but uh, they'd all made it in a different game, you know, rugby league, but they had all been internationals beforehand in, in rugby union as well. They weren't new to rugby union, they were coming back to rugby union and so the, the experience of fitness and, and, and discipline and so on was uh, evident, with the, especially uh, in weight training and things like that. They brought that professionalism uh, to the to the regime. and You he had a feeling when you were sitting speaking to the likes of Scott Gibbs, you've done things you know that a lot of other players haven't done because they've, they've stayed in rugby union or whatever. And the same with uh, the same with, uh, uh, you know, like sir, uh, Scott Guinell, you know, he'd chosen to go rugby league and he'd chosen to come back. Unfortunately, he didn't stay in the tour. they he played in 2001 as well. So they made a, they weren't the icing on the cake, they were, they were just a sort of glue that pulled everybody together and uh, made sure we, we did things right, you know, as far as preparing for the games.
3: Thank you for listening and watching the greatest hits with the Living With The Lion superstars. How good to hear from these men with their stories of that tour and what they've done since then. How much the badge meant to them, those speeches, those moments, those people, those relationships made, those experiences shared, and they're still willing to talk about it today. I absolutely loved it and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you'd like to listen to more, you can catch us on ACAST, Spotify, and Apple. Please check out the back catalogue. You can also watch on YouTube and Facebook if you'd like to see what's going on. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I look forward to what's coming in the future. We've got some big names lined up. I hope you're going to be there with us too. In the meantime, my name's Bruce Aitchison and my happiness is egg-shaped. Stay safe.
2: Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And,
0: and
2: our, our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. I was talking about this last night and he said
1: happiness is egg-shaped. Hey,
2: um, happiness is an egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle
0: with no end.